easiest thing to do is go to redfishrocks.org. You'll learn more about the Redfish Rocks community team. You'll learn more there about the Redfish Rocks Marine Reserve and Marine Protected Area and ways that you can learn more and get involved. Um, and if you're a student, uh, you're a college student or even a high school student that would like to come and do some study here at Red, uh, in Port Orford and study Redfish Rocks or do an internship. Uh, this year we have 11 students here studying various aspects of, of the local ecology, including the Marine Reserve. And if you wanna find, find out more about that, you can go to portorfordfieldstation.oregonstate.edu and you can learn about the internships and we even have some scholarships and internships for local high school students. And I think that's a great opportunity and those are paid internships, by the way. So uh, if you're thinking about maybe, a, not this year, we're kind of gonna you know, be wrapping it up here in the next couple of months, but for thinking about next year, you know, think about that as your you know summer job next year. It's a pretty pretty neat place to work for the summer and learn in in, uh, in the process. And that's our show. Thanks for listening to Coast Range Radio today. The easiest way to learn more about the marine reserves and our community partners is at omrp.org. You can find the rest of our series on Oregon's marine reserves and all of our episodes wherever you get your podcasts or at our website, coastrange.org. That's coastrange.org. Please rate and review this show on your podcast app, tell a friend, and see show notes for more resources. I love hearing feedback and suggestions for future shows and guests. Email me at michael at coastrange.org. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you soon. Good morning, this is Disability Justice, an everyday pursuit and survival. Your host, John Griffiths. And Dina Wilder, board operator. Teamwork makes the dream work. In the studio today with me is Cheryl Green. Hi, my name is Cheryl. I'm a white Ashkenazi Jewish woman with olive skin and dark curly hair and uh, black glasses. And I have a giant microphone in front of my laptop that looks like it's about to um, hit me in the face. I'm John Griffiths. I go by gender is it, race is non-human. 
I wear corrective lenses. My hair is kind of, or at least in the beard, it's kind of pepperish with some red stripes going right down the front. And the hair that's still remaining on my head is black. And I got a few wrinkles because I'm getting there. Cheryl, I actually don't know your title. Yeah, totally fine. Um, I usually identify myself as a, an access artist. What is an access artist? An access artist is a term that uh, my very good friends and colleagues, Grant Miller and Jonathan Paradox Lee came up with and they get community input to write that definition. And, and I think it's growing and changing, but it does refer to accessibility, but not for compliance, accessibility from the community's perspective, a disability aesthetic, uh, accessibility that's beautiful and creative and immersive. So that's a term that I really like to use. And if you wouldn't mind telling us a little bit about yourself, how you got started in this business. Sure. Before I do that, I would like to say, I am wearing a shirt that says ableism is trash right on the front. So I just wanted to lead with that as my introduction. Here's my shirt. Ooh. Oh, that's colorful. <laughs> yeah. So that's my introduction. My name is Cheryl Green and ableism is trash. Uh, so how I came into this, my primary work is I'm a captioner, transcriptionist, audio describer, and I train and do presentations in those things. I also am a podcaster. I'm a former KBU uh, radio host volunteer, former, is years ago. And I have made a handful of documentary films. I don't do the film stuff so much. And how did I come into this? I went, I was studying theater in this program called <laughs> Performance as Public Practice. I'm laughing because I just can't remember what it was called. It was years ago. And in that program, I got an internship with VSA Arts of Texas. So that's the State Disability Arts Organization. I identified as non-disabled back then, but I got to learn about disability arts and disability culture. And I worked you know, backstage and interning on Terry Galloway's actual lives and got to see and hear all these amazing stories from people who were like anti-inspiration and just a wide range of identities, a wide range of telling stories. I feel really lucky and privileged to have gotten introduced to that side of disability community before I acquired my own disabilities because then when I did acquire my own invisible disabilities, I didn't have to have a crisis of faith or of humanity. Oh yes, disabled people are great people and culture makers and contributors and just as wide a range of types of people as any other group you might come up with. And I didn't have to feel like I had lost my identity because I had met disabled people who had identities. Um, but I think if you don't have that exposure, non-disabled people can uh, become very frightened when if they acquire a disability. So how I came to this work was when I uh, acquired my disabilities, I had to leave the career track that I was on and I got really engaged with uh, Impetus Arts, which was Curtis Walker's performance group in Portland. Um, I did No One Wants to See the Wires, a storytelling and performance project with them. And I did a lot of dancing with the late Kathy Coleman of Disability Art and Culture Project 
and Eric Ferguson and Alexis Jewell and Art Honeyman. So I, I just met all these rad disabled activists and artists. And yeah, I acquired my own disabilities and was embraced in the disability arts scene because I had already been part of that group as a non-disabled person. And I just quit the career track I was on and I got into captioning and storytelling first. And then I got excited by film and took some documentary filmmaking classes, made some films and just kept my education going. When I realized that captions were a great form of access, but they only served a small number of people, I then went, I learned about audio description and went and studied that and became an audio describer. And um, yeah, just constantly growing in those areas. When you say audio describer and um, caption only serves a small audience, what what does it actually mean? So, I mean, can you explain what it means to to uh, you know do audio describing um, beyond just closed caption? I really appreciate that question a lot. Yeah, so the captions are available only visually, like when you go to a theater or you know a community screening, if you don't have access to seeing the screen. Maybe you're blind, maybe you're non-visual, maybe you're facing the other direction. Whatever the reason, if you don't have access to the visuals on the screen, you won't even know the captions are there. You won't be able to read them. Some people maybe have low vision and they can see some of it, but it goes by too quick or it's not big enough and they can't read it all. And they're just not given access to this information. So audio description is a way to talk and describe some of the things that are happening on the screen. You don't always have to read out the captions because let's say the audience member using audio description can hear everything. Then you don't have to read what's in the captions unless it's like a translation to a different language. You might need to read subtitles out. So with audio description, there's a lot of ways to define it, but I like to be really creative with it. It's it's not that you're describing every single thing on screen. And especially if people are talking, you can't describe while the characters are talking. So you try to give people a way in. What, you know, what, what are some of the visuals on screen? What is some of the action taking place that's not obvious just from listening to the film? And I try to get interesting and creative and textural. Like you don't have to constantly say what everything looks like. You could make reference to you know, maybe instead of saying that this shirt I'm wearing is gray, maybe I reference that it's soft. It's a soft cotton shirt. Because if you're not referencing the world just by visuals, maybe some people don't care that it's gray. Maybe some people do. But soft is a different sensory experience that you can relate to whether you could see the shirt or not. Like, oh, yes, I can think about a soft shirt. So I try to be interesting and creative with it. How in the world do you... Um you know, learn to think that way. Ooh, <laughs> I'm still learning. So I listen to audio description. I subscribe to my, one of my favorite podcasts is Read My Mind Radio with Thomas Reed, R-E-I-D. Um, he is an audio describer and he's a blind person who uses audio description. I listen to his podcast. I listen to him talk to other blind people about what makes great audio description and what makes bad audio description. I took 50 hours of professional training. Um, I watch movies with description on to hear how people are doing it. I read science journalism and my partner is a former science journalist and the way that they write, it's the most 
amazing, short, sweet, tight, poetic way of writing I've ever come across. And so I consume a lot of science journalism because it shows me how to make those short, punchy, informative, creative sentences. I can't talk that way, but <laughs> I'm working on learning to write that way. So there, there really isn't like any school or education in this or, or anything like that? Or are you saying, yes, there is, it's just you're doing it and you're learning it in a different way? Oh, I love that. It's both. So I did, I did do 50 hours of professional training that I you know, paid tuition for this training. Um, and there are several places to get trained in the U.S. and in other parts of the world, but there's no certification you can't become a certified audio describer. We don't have that yet. I do think, like you said, John, it's wonderful if people learn it in different ways. Like, talk to your blind friends. Ask them what makes good audio description. I'm in a collective called Social Audio Description Collective. I think half the collective members are blind people who write, narrate, edit the audio. We all collaborate in different ways on the different pieces that we write and record. And that's a great way to learn what makes good writing is the blind people on the team saying, what is that? That's no good, you need to change that. Or can we can we alter it in this way? This part doesn't make sense. What are you referring to? So it's constant dialogue, that's how I learn it. And did you, uh, I'm, I'm assuming, did you have to look for this collective or did you wind up in this collective somehow? I mean, did you? fall in with these people? I mean, how did you stumble across this collective? I mean, I'm pretty certain some of my um, audience would be interested in, you know, their own, finding their own collective or maybe being a part of yours or something like that. This collective I found in a Facebook group, like a professional Facebook group for audio describers and audience members who are people who use audio description. And this group when they started, the first thing they did, they call it vigilante trailer description. So they take Hollywood films or whatever films people request, and they audio describe the trailers because the big production companies in Hollywood, a lot of them are auto describing a lot of their films, but they're not describing their trailers. Like, how are you supposed to know if you're going to be interested in this film if the trailer wasn't made in a way that you can actually get much from it? So they take requests and they started doing these vigilante trailers. And that's how I first learned about them. But then two of the founding collective members were interviewed on Read My Mind Radio with Thomas Reed. So I learned more about them and, and fell in love and tried several times to join, but they weren't taking applications. And then at some point they opened up their applications and one of them contacted me and said, hey, thanks for audio describing your stuff and not setting it to private because some people online will make the audio described versions hidden and hard to find and Mine are right up out there with my non-described stuff. I always post two versions because not everybody wants the audio description. So you should be able to pick which one you do want. And I was really lucky that they let me in. So you said two? Are you constantly writing up two for every show you, you do? Well, for my own films, which I don't make many films anymore, but I post on YouTube and Vimeo, if I'm going to post my own filmmaking, I post two copies of every film. One copy has audio description on. You can't turn it off. It's just there. The other copy has no audio description. And they both have captions. Each person can choose how they want to experience the film with or without audio description. So that's what I do for my own work. Mm. Oh, 
What is your current project? Alice Wong is um, one of my favorite humans slash cat people on the planet. And she runs the Disability Visibility Project. She got funding to start a disabled, a hub for disabled podcasters. And Thomas Reed and I were selected to create this hub in any way that we wanted to. And so we have been meeting weekly, sometimes three times a week for close to a year, maybe. And we are developing a hub. We're developing a space for deaf and disabled podcasters to find each other and find audiences. And we're going to have a learning and resource hub. So John, you and I were talking briefly before we started recording about editing software and what do you do when you record video on Zoom? How do you get that onto the radio? We want to gather or create accessible resources so that nobody is stuck at home wondering what to do next. You want to make radio, you want to make podcasts, you should be able to do so. So the first thing we're doing right now, we have a survey that we've put out that we want all podcasters with any kind of disability or deaf podcasters to fill out. We want audience members to fill out whoever you are. And the survey is at https colon slash slash bit dot ly slash pod access. And that last part is p-o-d-a-c-c-e-s-s, pod access. That's our temporary name. And we have a ton of people who filled it out so far. We're getting such great information about what is the content out there, who's making what, and what are the obstacles people are running into? Equipment, funding, writer's block, don't have enough team. What are people's interests? Because there's a lot of neat podcasts on disability or accessibility, and a lot of great people with disabilities um, and deaf people making podcasts. But the mainstream audience still thinks it's like this niche thing. Well, why should I listen to that show? <laughs> That's about disability, whatever. I don't care about that. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you care? It's great. There's great content. And we want to help people learn how to make their podcast more accessible to a larger audience. So anyway, we're in the beginning phases. We need people to fill out the survey. And that's the big thing uh, that we're working on right now. Once our website is built, it's not built yet. Once it's built, it's I think it's going to be a lot easier to share because we will have a database of all the disability-related podcasts or disabled podcasters. You know, what is your show? Are you taking guests? What access do you offer? Do you want to be a guest on someone else's show? Like, it's all going to be in one place, and I think it'll be very shareable, and I think the word will get out more. You know, right now, survey... A lot of people don't want to fill out a survey. It's not that attractive. But when we say, come check out this database, find great shows. And I do want to say, you know, people whose shows are not fully accessible, that's okay. We want you in the database and we can, you know, work as a community to figure out how to make stuff more accessible. What we're not interested in is disability visitors. So like a non-disabled person who did a show once about curb cuts, like whatever, get out of here. <laughs> You've got your own space. This is not your space. We want that person to fill out the survey. We want that person to 
you know, find cool people on our website, but our database is not going to be listing every non-disabled show that dipped its toe into one disability element one time. We, we just don't need that. So that's not going to be the feature. Yeah. Disability touches every single kind of person, every topic, every political issue, every beautiful thing. It's, it's everywhere. My blog, um, I audio record my blog. So it's, it's typed out. Um, and if you use a screen reader, um, you can listen to my blog, but I have a lot of dyslexic um, blog subscribers. And one in particular, a blog su subscriber who um, really struggles to read since his brain injury. And he doesn't have screen reading technology and a lot of dyslexic people don't, maybe don't necessarily have it. So it's audio recorded. So you don't have to fuss with it. You don't want to read this or you can't read it. Great. You can listen. I'll, I've narrated it. I've, I've read it aloud. So that's one piece that I offer there. Um, and so then with the podcast, it is, of course, starts from audio, but I transcribe it and not just transcript. Like I see a lot of transcripts out there on some of the bigger shows where they use terms like soundbite in the transcript. And they don't tell you what the soundbite is of. It's just like, you know, soundbite of a riot. Well, but what sounds? What sounds actually happened? Or you soundbite of, and they'll just say the name of a program and they don't transcribe it. And my question is, why on earth are you providing access if you're not going to provide good access? I understand if you don't have the budget and you're just on a shoestring and you're out there like trying to provide, you know, a, a few small pieces of, of access that you can. Great. Every little bit that you do is wonderful. But some of these bigger organizations and channels have stuff that is quote unquote compliant, but is boring it's unclear, it's not written beautifully, it's not descriptive. Like, okay, music. If you go back to my earliest films, which please don't, I have captions that are just like, it says music, or it just has music notes, because I didn't know any better when I started, and that's what I was seeing around me. Well, if you are relying on the captions and it just says music notes, what, who cares? Like, the film director, chose the music that they put there or the podcast creator you choose the music that you choose for a reason you want it to sound away you want it to bring a certain emotion you want the the speed to the instrumentation you're very deliberate and yet when it comes to the transcripts whatever it's just music and i'm i'm sick and tired of boring accessibility that is only based on compliance and so in my transcripts and captions, I try to bring an emotion to the captions in the transcript. So, you know, I, up to this point, I think I was having some real confusion over exactly what you were doing. And listening to the description you're just giving me right now, you're telling me you take certain words in there that might be just really mundane, boring, or just broad description, but not focused description. And what you do is you take these words and you turn them into a more focused description. Yeah. Is it, yeah. I got that correct? You did. Yeah, it's absolutely correct. It, that, that is the point. It needs to be focused. Specifically, what is happening right now? 
but I also try to make it fun and interesting. And, and, you know, I hear this music, but this music brings a feeling to me. Okay, I'm going to put that feeling in the caption. Yeah, I'm going to put that feeling in there. Because if you're going to put so much effort into making beautiful art, why wouldn't you put so much effort into making beautiful access? Like, who is this for? When you make boring accessibility that is only focused on compliance, you are putting yourself at the center. Look at me, pat, pat, pat on the back. I did a good job. I provided a thing. But if you really want the people using the access to be at the center of the experience, you will give them something interesting and and beautiful and as creative as the piece of art that you made. They're never going to be identical, but I think that people should try more to make them interesting and creative and fun and useful. Yeah. So what are your long-term goals? Um, I can't tell time and I can't read calendars very well. So I I don't even know what a long, long long-term goal is. I almost said lawn term. I'd like to sit in the lawn. That's one of my goals, but I just found out I'm allergic to grass and the COVID booster has now made me allergic to like everything. So I can't sit in the lawn either. That was my digression. Long-term goals. I'm really excited about the collaboration in the Social Audio Description Collective. And I want that collaboration to grow and for us to get more work. I do like working solo on my own and, and I do always pay a blind or low vision consultant to review my scripts before I record them. But in the collective, we all work together and it's a very diverse group of people and it's very enriching. So I want that work to grow. I'm really excited about the project with Thomas, the pod access project to um, take off and really build community and that we can offer really useful and usable and accessible information and opportunities to people. I'm super excited about that growing, but that's on a grant. And so it's kind of short term, you know, that money will run out. And if we haven't found a way to get more money, that one will be short term. I don't know what my long-term goals are, John. (laughs) I'd like to get a guinea pig. Exactly, because it'll make me make that sound. (laughs) So, you you know, uh, I'm really kind of curious, and I'm just kind of like wondering how, uh, um, you know, how in the world did you become so aware of, I'm just kind of curious, how in the world did y'all become so thoughtful? Ah. I mean, one reason is people just outright telling me. So... Uh, the first film I ever did called Cooking with Brain Injury, it's very silly, is based on my real life. So non-disabled people don't laugh very much at it, but disabled people laugh at it. They're like, ah, I get it. I get all your, I get the humor. One of my f- first two films um, it was captioned. We did a screening and somebody was whispering through the whole screening. And I thought, well, how rude is that? How selfish and rude is that? Be quiet. You, I'm so easily distracted, You're distracting me. And I asked somebody afterward what that was about. And they said, oh, that's somebody um, uh, telling a blind person what was happening in your film because he wasn't following all the details of your film. And, and it was like total face plant moment for me. I was so proud of my captions. They were so beautiful but I had not at all considered the experience of somebody who wasn't seeing the screen. I just, I did, I, I made it accessible there, I'm done. 
So I wasn't thoughtful about it until somebody told me. And that person um, who was being whispered to is Carmen Papalia. And he identifies as a non-visual artist. He doesn't use the, the term blind, um, but he does uh, use audio description. And um, we've gone on to become friends and colleagues and we talk about this stuff. So it's not that I am sitting here on my own thinking of all the people I should think of. Uh, people are telling me, hey, you didn't hit the mark on this. You didn't, this wasn't accessible enough. And I have the privilege of enough finances and time to go um, get trained, you know, and my access needs are such that I was able to get to these different audio description trainings. You know, they're not universally accessible. A lot of people who want to offer this stuff don't have the opportunity to get the training because the trainings are inaccessible. Yeah, it's it's not as much me as it is noticing when someone said, well, you didn't hit the mark. And then I figure out if I can get closer to hitting the mark uh, next time around. And so my early stuff is not audio described. Even some of my stuff on YouTube and Vimeo, I have not yet gone back and added all the audio description. And like I said before, some of the captions are really cruddy because I wasn't considering other people back then to the degree because now I'm listening and paying attention and taking this in. Ah, I wanna thank you for talking to me today. And I'm pretty certain many people will probably wanna get a hold of you and contact you do you have a website contact information or something that you can give us? Yeah, thank you. My website is whoamitostopit.com. And my Twitter and Facebook, which I hardly use, but they're there. And they are both at whoamitostopit.com. So people can reach me any of those ways. I have a media services access request form linked on my website. So sometimes people will email me, hi, I have this film, I need captions, and they go on and on, and I don't know what they're talking about. And so I do sometimes just tell people who email me, could you please just fill out my form? Because then it's organized and I can understand it all. <laughs> I, I have contact information listed there on the website. Thanks for asking, answering all my questions. I do appreciate that. Are you kidding? Thank you for asking me questions. Thank you for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. That's the end of Disability Justice. Since we cannot be fully aware of everybody's difficulties within the community, we would really like it if you would send us your email, disabilityjustice at kboo.org. disability touches every single kind of person, every topic, every political issue, every beautiful thing. It's, it's everywhere.